and people ask me, where'd you learn? And I always tell them I learned here, you know, after we opened. I mean, you know, I spent a little time in Naples and obviously did the home stuff and whatever, but until you're on the oven every night, night after night, with a stack of tickets, I mean, that's, that's kind of how you learn. After three generations in the Army, Stephen Dilley broke his family's streak. The Texas native bounced from a career in the financial sector in New York City back to Austin and his alma mater, where he fell in love with Neapolitan pies and opened a restaurant with zero experience. He now has two stores in town, each firing thin, blistered pizzas with a nod to local produce. The story of Bufalina, straight ahead. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Dolinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome back, everybody. Great to have you along with us on another edition of Pizza City. Um, we have a fantastic show today going down to Austin, Texas, uh, to talk to Stephen Dilley there at Bufalina. But before we get started, I want to talk about two events coming up uh, during National Pizza Month, which is in October. Uh, first of all, in Denver, October 20th, Grabowski's Pizzeria. By the way, I love that name, Grabowski's. Uh, they are now open at the Source Market Hall in Denver, and they're doing classic Chicago tavern-style pizzas. Uh, Jared Leonard, who's got the Budlong here in Chicago, which does Nashville hot chicken, he wanted to bring a, a taste of home with him to Denver, so he opened up a pizzeria concept. They've got the style of pizza he grew up eating, thin crust, cut into squares, uh, edge-to-edge with slightly sweet tomato sauce, mozzarella, and fennel-heavy Italian sausage. So on October 20th, I'm going to be there to talk about my book, Pizza City USA, in the afternoon from 2 to 5. Um, it's inside the Source Market Hall. They're going to have a few pizza and beer specials. The Bears game will be on TV. And, of course, old-style beer. Come celebrate your Chicago heritage with us, and we'll talk Chicago pizza. Then a few days later, October 23rd, I'm going to be in New Haven, Connecticut, for a super cool tour with a local expert who wrote the book on New Haven pizza, followed by a fun and informative program. Follow uh, a couple of people on Instagram for more information. Graduate Hotels, uh, Taste of New Haven, and Pizza City USA. We're all going to have info on our Instagram for more details. That's going to be October 23rd. All right, back to today's show. I want to talk about uh, Stephen Dilley today. Interesting guy, lives in Austin, Texas. And Austin, not necessarily a big pizza town, although they have had a couple of places more recently that have opened up uh, 313. Uh, there's a place called Pius, which is just outside of town, which I'm really going to try. I'm going there actually during Austin City Limits. And even though it's going to be a barbecue eating trip, I want to try to get out there. Uh, but he, we talked a little bit about some of that on today's show. But Stephen's got an interesting background. His dad's Italian, mom's Taiwanese. Three generations of army in his family, and uh, he really broke the streak. But uh, he started in East Austin with Bufalina in 2013, and that's where I met him recently after trying a couple of pizzas that had emerged from their beautiful wood-burning oven. I started off by asking him about the unique culinary crossroads he encountered as a kid. Your father was in the army? Yeah, that's right. He was um, third, third generation army, so I'm, I broke the streak. 
Yeah. And like a lot of kids in the pizza business, father was sort of Italian, mother Taiwanese. That is a very interesting culinary background. Yeah, it was, um, it was fun. I mean, obviously at the time, I didn't think much of it because it's what I knew. We tended to have dinner at home every night, so it was a lot of Chinese food. And then there was some stuff, you know, from my Italian grandmother that would get thrown in. She, she grew up near Venice, so it wasn't, um, you know, Neapolitan or Sicilian or anything like that, but a lot of... Uh, you know, pasta, fresh vegetables, that kind of stuff. She wasn't doing like a pan pizza, like a Sicilian grandma pizza? You know, I never, no. So, I, and, and in fact, thinking back, so she actually retired with my grandfather to San Antonio. So I was lucky enough to spend summers when I was young um, at their house out there. And uh, she planted a bunch of asparagus, and I don't remember her ever baking, aside from maybe some fruit desserts, but she eventually moved back to Italy um, and when I would go visit her in Vicenza, there was a place she took me for pizza, and it was um, it was a square Sicilian style, but up in uh, Bazzano, which is near Vicenza. So growing up in Central Texas, what are your pizza memories as a kid? Was it like fast food or chains? Yeah, that's pretty much it. And you know, we had uh, so I grew up in this little town called Coppers Cove, and I think when when we first moved there, this would have been late '70s, early '80s. There was a Pizza Hut. And I think that was it. And um, I mean, that was that was a treat. It yeah. was like, yeah. yeah. Same for me. I'm a Shakey's guy from Minnesota, so. Okay. Exactly. No shame in admitting that. <laughs> um, so you went you went to UT here in Austin. You yeah. studied computer science and American history. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And that would have been, you know, mid '90s, basically. Okay. So pizza again, college late night sort of uh, alcohol soaking food. Nothing really memorable. No, exactly. Um, I think the only thing that changed was. You know, went from national chains to regional chains when I moved to Austin, but yeah, about the same. Then you started working in New York, and that probably changed things a bit. Yeah, changed things a lot. So I moved up there um, to go to graduate school, I think like in 2002. And then that's when I was really exposed to stuff. And I, you know, I moved up, and I was initially Upper West Side, and I would just hit random streets. Sal and Carmine's Upper West Side. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I would do treks, you know, I'd go up to the original Patsy's, go to Lombardi's, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, And then I settled downtown, and then the place that I really would kind of hang out at wasn't Neapolitan, it was uh, Adrian's, which is down like South Street. Adrian's Pizza Bar. Exactly. Yeah, in the financial district. Yeah, Yeah, which is kind of a weird location, um, if you know New York, but they do a square pie there that's just phenomenal. I've had that pizza. Yeah, yeah it's great. So okay, so you were so you were, your pizza awakening was happening really in New York City. Um, then you decide to come back to Austin just to be near family and kind of and find work here. That's pretty much it. I mean, I had been at that point. I'd been in finance for right at ten years, and I was ready to kind of change it up, maybe do grad school. And um, I'd always kicked around the idea of doing a restaurant. And at the time in New York. You know, Keste had opened, and that was kind of my exposure to this style of pizza. And Roberta's had opened, and I... This is the Keste on Bleecker? Yeah, exactly, on Bleecker. So I would hit that place, because uh, when it opened, it might still be super busy, but when it opened in the evenings, it was a madhouse. And so I would sneak in for lunch, and it was kind of a revelation. So I was, I was kind of playing with that style at home at the time. Okay, just kind of messing around with recipes. Exactly. Did you, did you look at things like Bread Baker's Apprentice or any kind of book set for inspiration? I looked at everything I could find. Um, I forget the, the forum, pizzamaking.com, I think, a lot of stuff on that. And I became, you know, friendly with some of the, the pizza people up there. So I would just, you know, ask questions. And obviously, you know, this style of pizza doesn't work super well in a home oven, but I was playing around with, 
you know, square pies, New York style pies, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'd been baking a decent amount up until then, so it felt like kind of a natural progression. So when I moved back here, which I think would have been around 2011, um, shortly after I moved back, I decided I was gonna do a restaurant. And shortly after that, I kind of zoned in on, on Neapolitan pizza. Um, I mean, I'd fallen in love with the style at the time. And, uh, you know, it didn't hurt that there weren't really any other people doing it at the time. A lot of people I've talked to in this business, even like Anthony Falco, who helped open up Roberta's, you know, they're constantly learning. And they said, you know, I don't know what I was doing, I didn't have a clue. What, you had spent a lot of time talking to people and baking and, you know, doing things at home, but you opened up here in East Austin in 2013. Did you have a clue then? I thought I did, you know? And people ask me, where'd you learn? And I always tell them I learned here, you know, after we opened. I mean, you know, I spent a little time in Naples and obviously did the home stuff and whatever, but until you're on the oven every night, night after night, with a stack of tickets, I mean, that's, that's kind of how you learn. And so, yeah. Like, how long were you in Naples? Um, I was at less than a month. Yeah, I did like, you know, the VPN class, and they hooked me up with this place, Atelio, which has been around since I think the late 30s. Um, really cool folks, and so they let me hang out in their kitchen for uh, a couple of weeks. Um, and so I felt pretty confident coming back after that, but like I said, I mean, until you're actually in it every day. So what was the pizza scene in Austin like six years ago? Were there, I mean, were there artisan or Neapolitan or any square pies around? Um, you know, six years ago, you know, you had Home Slice, which, which you still have, which that's been the biggest player for, um, I, I don't know, 10, 15 years now. Is that in like a New York Slice? New York Slice, on Mondays at the original location, they do a Sicilian, and then they opened up a second location last year where you can get Sicilian any day of the week. And right around that time, um, the Hunt Brothers had started up Via 313, um, which at the time was a trailer, and now I think they have three spots in Austin. And that was the first time I was exposed to Detroit-style pizza. Um, you had another place, Backspace, that opened downtown, and then Pius and uh, you know, Bufalino, we opened right, right around the same time. So what was the response here at the beginning when you said you actually were kind of figuring it out and learning on the job? How was, what was the response the first year or so here? It was, uh, it was really positive. I mean, I was nervous going into it for a lot of reasons. You know, I'd never worked in a restaurant, let alone run a restaurant. And, uh, you know, that style of pie, you know, it's not New York style, right? It can, it can be a little wetter. It can be, especially I think when you're initially exposed to it, it, it it's pretty minimal. You know, there's not a ton of ingredients. So, you know, there were, you know, things like that that kind of kept me up at night. But for the most part, people showed up and were really excited. I think maybe they fed off our enthusiasm. We had a really, it wasn't just me. We had a pretty green staff overall. But we were, you know, very excited. So pizza itself is not, I think, widely known in America. And you had spent a little bit of time in Naples, so you understood the high heat, the quick bake, the wet middle. But I've seen people still, like in Chicago, will send a Neapolitan back and ask for it well done, which is not an option. Right. And, you know, we, we still get some of that. But I think at this point, more people are familiar with it. And I think we are probably, we probably do a better job of handling queries like that. We're probably better about kind of describing you know, the style, but, you know, I still see, you know, like Cane Rosa, which they're all over Texas now, they, they used to have a little uh, disclaimer on their menu that addressed the, the soupiness factor. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to keep talking with Stephen Dilley here at Bufalina in Austin. When we come back, we're going to talk more specific details about how he actually makes this pie and what some of the great toppings are. I just had a couple here myself. Um, and then we're also going to preview some scenes from our next show coming up in two weeks. So stay with us.
Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Stephen Dilley today, the uh, owner of Bufalina. There's actually Bufalina Due. There are two locations now in Austin, Texas. Um, we talked in our last segment about kind of how you got into this business. Uh, Neapolitan was the path you chose. So let's talk about your Neapolitan pies. And by the way, you're not calling them Neo-Neapolitan or Artisan Neapolitan. They're Neapolitan pizzas, yeah? Technically, yes. So we don't really advertise anything. I mean, we never did, you know, the VPN certification or anything like that. I think that technically, yes, they're, they're Neapolitan. You know, we do, like everyone, we do a few things differently. I think the our, our approach with kind of the type of oven, the high heat, that type of stuff is definitely Neapolitan. But we like to have fun with it, you know. And, and, and that's why a lot of guys don't want the certificate. I know it's like getting kosher certification. you got to pay them to do it. And it doesn't, and this is why a lot of guys in Chicago don't do it, it doesn't ensure high-quality pizza because you can buy all the ingredients, but then you might have somebody who doesn't know how to make pizzas. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. And, and I also think it can restrict you. I mean, at the end of the day, what, what we're hoping to put out is kind of the best tasting product we can put out. And so, you know, for instance, when we opened, you know, we were using DOP certified tomatoes, which who knows if they were actually DOP tomatoes or whatever, but they tasted good. At this point, we're using, you know, the Chris Bianco organic product, which to me, it's, it's more consistent and the flavor is a little brighter, a little more vibrant. And, you know, something like that, technically, if we were VPN, we wouldn't be able to do that. Okay, so let's talk about the dough. Is it double zero caputo? It's double zero caputo. We play around from time to time. I would not be surprised if we end up with a domestic flour at some point. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it's caputo double zero. I mean, it would be, you'd earn like sort of hipster cred points and artisan cred points to say we've got a locally milled double zero, right? Is that, is that possible in Texas? It is, yeah. We actually, um, there's a guy out there, James Brown, um, Barton Springs Mill, who's doing great stuff. In fact, he's um, opening a new mill up later this year, and uh, we've played around with some of the stuff right now. I mean, at, at, at the moment, it's the kind of thing where we can use a little bit of it. Um, it's not some. It's not like a double zero we can, you know, but in the future, who knows? You mentioned the Chris Bianco sauce. What about cheese? Uh, where's that coming from? And is it uh, buffalo and fior de latte? So right now, um, we're not using buffalo, and, and the main reason is we haven't been able to get anything that's consistently of a level that I approve of because as you know you know it starts to acidify and the texture breaks down pretty quickly there is a project in Texas right now with water buffalo and so you know we're hopeful maybe within the next year we'll have access to that right now we're pulling uh, Belgiozo curd in-house for our mots and uh, burrata nobody has come in and complained that I'm at a place called Bufalina and I can't get the buffalo you'd be surprised yeah <laughs> we've, I, we've got a handful of emails okay yeah. all right you're pulling some yourself, and you've also got burrata. Yeah, and we're pulling the burrata ourselves as well. Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about toppings. I just had, so I just tried three here. I had the margarita, I had the sausage and peppers, and the corn with andouille, which I loved. But let me tell me about the sausage, because that reminded me of a Midwestern sort of pinched and pressed raw sausage you bake on the pizza. Right. Yeah, no, it's not, not dissimilar to that. Um, that's both of those pies you mentioned, the corn and that are uh, kind of summer pies here because, you know, in Texas it gets this hot, there's not a lot that grows, so this time of year it's, you know, peppers, okra, that kind of stuff, so we use that. Um, the sausage we're doing in-house, um, and we put it in uh, sheet pans and kind of par-cook it in the oven and then break it up and then obviously put it on the pie. With fennel? Fennel seed? Uh, yeah, fennel seed, um, there's some chili, yeah. Okay. And then the, the corn was super interesting. I thought when I saw corn, I thought, oh, here comes another elote pizza. But no, you have the enduya, which I just loved. Right. Yeah, I think it's a combination for me. It actually came out of, um, at home, I was cooking corn in the summer with Serrano. And I thought, you know, there was this natural affinity between the heat and, and that. And, 
you know, at some point we started doing a duya in-house and we were mainly using it in our charcuterie plate. Um, but at some point we married the two and I think it, I think it works really well. You guys are making the anduja yourself? Yeah, we're doing it with um, basically, uh, you know, our, our, most of the charcuterie, all the charcuterie actually we work with is uh, domestic, so liquercia and good stuff like that. But we'll save, you know, the ends, basically. Um, and so the anduja, we kind of whiz it up and emulsify it with spices and kick the heat level up. Everything you're describing to me does sound like an artisan Neapolitan or neo-Neapolitan. I mean, somebody like um, uh, Daniele Uditi over at uh, Pisana in L.A., he's doing that, you know, in terms of like the, the really beautiful toppings, but now he will do a little bit lower temperature and slightly longer. Now, I timed one of your pizzas as I saw the pizzaolo put it in, about a minute 20. That seems about right? Yeah, that's about right. I mean, I think it's, you know, for us, 75 to 90 seconds is about right. Um, so that means about eight, 900 degrees Fahrenheit, roughly. Yeah, we try to keep it right around 9, 925. Um, and you know, occasionally, especially the, in that, early, that first year, um, when I wasn't so great on fire management at times, um, you know, we had some nights where it would be 55, 60 second pies, which for me is not ideal, but at this point we tend to have it dialed in. So this is a, one of the issues I hear you know, with wood burning. And by the way, are you doing oak or mesquite? Yeah, this is oak. Oak, okay. Do anybody, does anybody use mesquite in this part of the country or no? Um, I think I know of one place using it for barbecue, but um, for pizza, everyone I know around here is using oak. And by the way, smaller pieces of, of oak here, not like the large logs. Right, um, which is tough to get here. Most people like the big. I like the smaller stuff because I feel you get a little more control um, just in the oven, working the fire. Okay, so the original question was, um, with burning wood and, and baking a pizza in an, in an oven that's only in there for, the pizza's in there for about a minute 20, maybe a minute 30, do you feel like the wood is imparting flavor into the pizza or just baking it? I can't imagine. I mean, it's funny because we'll get people in here, you know, diners, who will come up and say that they're, they're picking up some flavor from that and, you know, who am I to tell them otherwise? But, no, I can't imagine because um, we're not seeing you know, smoke in the oven, which, you know, exposure to smoke over that short of time, yeah, maybe you can pick something up, but I think it's just a heat source, yeah. Have you ever messed around with fermentation time and then changing your temperature? Like right now, are you doing like a one-day ferment? Yeah, so what we do is kind of based on, on what I was exposed to, and Naples, what we, you know, we've tinkered with it a bit. So we do a 24-hour bulk fermentation, and then we ball it. But I think what's I'm sure it's not unique to us, but I don't know anyone else doing it, is our dough doesn't see any refrigeration. So usually it's ready to go at about the 40-hour mark, but at that point it's been ideally at about 75 degrees for that entire time. Does that affect, is anything affected here because you're in Texas where, the, where it is get, gets quite warm in the summertime? Yeah, we're, yes. I mean, we're constantly, that's something we pay attention to on a daily basis, just, you know, how things are going, how the proofing's coming along, whatever. And we use... You know, we use brewer's yeast, but we use such a minimal amount. I think on a, on like a 12 kilo batch, so you know, 12,000 grams, we're using two to three grams of brewer's yeast. So we have like a gram scale for that. But the fact that we're going at 75, this time of year, it could be 78 degrees, and doing it, you know, upwards, it could be 50 hours of room temp fermentation. In my experience, it gets a, you know, it gets a lot of complexity in the dough. And room temp here is meet your meaning like the air conditioning is always on. Exactly. So it's, you know, the place I was at in Naples um, had kind of a, a room that was kind of at cellar temp, um, which we don't have any, you know, and that would have been, eh, you know, probably about 60 degrees. We don't have that here. So we've just kind of, you know, adjusted the, the recipe to deal with the conditions we have. 
So at this point now, six, seven years in, you are happy with the way this pizza comes out. You like the crumb. You like the the, the soupiness in the middle, which is like not that soupy. It's not that wet. It's just it's just a little floppy and it's soft. It's it's a little it's a little floppy. And I also think as it sits, I think people tend to eat these pies maybe a little too quickly at times. I, I like to let it sit for a bit and it, it kind of settles um, and sets up a little bit. You know, I'm happy, but we're always playing around. I mean, we, you know, there's someone up, up in Waco doing some curd, so we'll play around with that. We're always monitoring, you know, what, what are the new products? What's new to Texas? Because, you know, I think there's, there's potential to always, always get better. And, and I think an important part of that is just paying attention to what's available. Would you ever experiment with putting these, serving these on screens to have airflow underneath to keep the bottom a little bit firmer? The one conversation we did have along those lines was whether or not to slice the pies. Because, you know, there's still places, I don't know if Una's slicing them now, but, you know, you can find places that aren't slicing. We got so much <laughs> flack from that. And then, and then so we, we changed the policy so it was, you know, we're not going to slice to go pies. But then we get people who call us, you know, after they've gotten their pie home. They're like, yeah, you guys screwed up. You didn't. So at this point, we just kind of slice. But we do have people who come in and request an unsliced pie. And I kind of appreciate that. I know you'd be foolish to turn down business. But this kind of a pie to go, it doesn't travel that well. It's so delicate. It deteriorates quickly. Yeah, it's tough. And that's a conversation that um, we had a number of times early on. In the end, we just kind of broke down. And, and you know, we, we kind of... Um, preface it that way like you know I think the non-tomato pies um, tend to travel a lot better these days with with online ordering and you know people ordering through apps and whatever it was just kind of tough for us to ignore that goddamn DoorDash okay last question I ask everybody on the show uh, knowing what you know now having gone through all this R&D all these headaches working the fire what would you tell yourself eight years ago before you opened up here to save yourself some some headaches Probably when I look back, the, the anxiety that, that came with opening up all had to do with kind of, you know, questioning what we were doing. And I think maybe having a little more confidence that, you know, kind of do the best you can. And if you're happy with it, that's the product you put out. And you just hope that, you know, people will uh, respond to it. And by the way, for someone like yourself who did everything at the beginning and now you've turned over the reins to other pizzaiolos, how much training do you have to do before you feel comfortable stepping away from your oven? <laughs> it was, it was tricky. You know, I mean, there, there, there have been lessons with that uh, on the food side, and at some point, you just have to trust your team. You know, and and they deserve it. And these guys who are running it now, I mean, they're they're better than than I ever was. The restaurant again is called Bufalina here in East Austin. The second one is Bufalina Due, both in Austin. Stephen Dilly is the uh, the founder, the owner. Stephen, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Coming up in two weeks, a chat with one of the OGs in the deep dish world. Well, the fact that his father said, you're never going to make it. <laughs> you're you're going you're gonna to be broke in two years. You know, that didn't help. But that gave him incentive to really uh, do a good job. I'll talk with Mark Malnati, the president of Lou Malnati's, about how his father created the largest, most successful deep dish pizza business in the country. That's in two weeks on October 11th, which is smack dab in the middle of National Pizza Month. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and please review us there. We're at Pizza City USA on Instagram, but on Twitter it's at Pizza City Tours. Don't ask me why. And speaking of tours, take one the next time you're in Chicago. More information about those and how to get my book at PizzaCityUSA.com or just yell at me on social media at Steve Dolinsky. 
Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song. And next time you're in Chicago, check out Revival Food Hall in the Loop, where Dante's Pizzeria is currently baking its New York-style slices for the next few months. Thanks for listening, everybody, and here's wishing you nothing but optimal bite ratio, always. <laughs>